Thank you, choir, for sharing that beautiful song of praise with us. And as we begin our time of studying God's word today, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning thanking you for the blessings that we've already enjoyed. Thank you for the testimony of Jerry and the work of the Gideons. And Lord, we do pray that you would further their work and that the gospel might go forward through the translation of your word and through the placement of it in schools and military installations and hotels and all of the ministries that they do. Lord, we're thankful for them and for their commitment. Lord, as we study from that very word today, Lord, we pray that you would work through uh, this simple text, this beautiful story, to encourage us as we walk with you, Lord, that we might commune with Christ and that we might find fellowship and forgiveness in him. pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. This morning we're going to be in John chapter 21 and look at a a very beautiful story of Jesus' reconciliation with Peter and his encouragement to his disciples. Uh, And we're working through... Uh, we've begun to work through a, a series on discipleship, and we've set out to start with to define what a disciple is. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? We've seen already that a disciple is first and foremost chosen by God, that we're called out as disciples to follow Jesus. Second, that a disciple is loved by God, that God loves him and that Jesus loves the disciple and gives his life for him. And as a result of that, the disciple is to follow Jesus by loving others. And so we see that he is chosen or she is chosen. She is loved. And then lastly, uh, last week we saw that a disciple is to abide in Christ, that apart from Christ, as Jesus says in John chapter 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. That the power of the Christian life The power to serve and to walk and to live for Christ is found in resting in what Jesus has done for us through his death and his resurrection, through the presence of his Holy Spirit in our lives. And so this morning, we're going to look at John chapter 21, verses 1 through 19, and we're going to find one more definition of what it is to be a disciple, and that is that a disciple receives fellowship and forgiveness through communion with Christ. A disciple receives fellowship and forgiveness through communion with Christ. So let's read John chapter 21, verses 1 through 19 together. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, The sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for the work. 
and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he would glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. So as we look at what it means to commune with God, we, we can tell what it means to commune with Jesus Christ by understanding uh, what communing with Christ looks like. And so we have in this story of Jesus's reconciliation with Peter and his fellowship with his uh, with his disciples, we have a picture of what it looks like to commune with Jesus. And first, we find in verses 1 through 14, we see that the commu- that communion with Jesus Christ looks like dependent fellowship. Communion with Jesus Christ looks like dependent fellowship. Now in verse 1, John tells us of this beautiful experience that he had had with the risen Jesus sometime after the first week of his resurrection. You'll notice in verse 1, it starts by saying, after this, or your translation might say, after these things. So this is an indefinite time uh, between the first week of Jesus' resurrection and this point before he ascends into heaven. We don't know how long this was. We're not told exactly how long this was, but we can gather from the details that this was likely several weeks after Jesus' resurrection from the dead. We can gather that because, for one, This all takes place on the Sea of Galilee, or as it's called in our text today, the Sea of Tiberias, which is the same place as the Sea of Galilee. Now, Jesus was crucified in Jerusalem, 
And the Sea of Galilee was 70 miles from Jerusalem as the crow flies. And no doubt the disciples did not go as the crow flies to the Sea of Galilee. So it's likely, if they were walking, that this was several weeks later, at least a week later, as it would have taken them at least a week to walk from Jerusalem to the Sea of Galilee. We also have a clue from verse 3. If you'll notice there, we're told that Peter decides that it's time to go fishing. Now, some, pre- some preachers have made a lot out of this and, and given Peter a hard time, suggesting that he got tired of waiting on the Lord to reveal himself again. He gave up on, all the ministry, on his ministry and decided to just go back to the profess- profession that he knew. But it could just simply be that Peter and these other disciples had been waiting on Jesus so long, they had walked from Jerusalem to Galilee, they had used up all their supplies, they had eaten all the food that they had with them as they made the journey, and so it was time to get some food. And Peter, being a professional fisherman, went back to the one thing that he knew good and well that he could do, and that was to fish for his food. So, In whatever case, he puts in and they go on a fishing trip to catch food for these seven men. Now, this fishing trip serves as the background for two important lessons about our fellowship with Jesus Christ. First, to have fellowship with Jesus means that we are totally dependent on him for our every need. So these disciples were well-trained fishermen who had fished all night, and they had caught nothing. That's about like every fishing trip I ever go on. But uh, I can relate to these guys fishing all night and catching nothing. And in the first light of dawn, they hear a voice call out from the shore and directs them to cast the net on the other side of the boat. And when they do that, they catch so many fish that they can't lift the net into the boat. They end up having to hold the net on the side of the boat and row the boat into shore because there are so many fish that they can't lift it. Now this, uh, this miracle proves so much about Jesus. For one, it proves that he is sovereign over nature. Time and again in his ministry, Jesus proved that he is in complete control over the natural world. Whether it was in calming a storm just simply by standing up and saying, peace be still. Whether it's walking on water or in the case that of this miracle here, in directing fish into a net so that his disciples might be fed. You need to understand, if you're going to have fellowship with Christ, then you need to understand that Jesus Christ is sovereign over all things. He is sovereign over nature. He is sovereign over matter. He is sovereign over your life. And He is sovereign over the very matter that makes us up. But He isn't just sovereign over nature, but He's sovereign over our circumstances. It's not just that God controls or Jesus controls the rain and the storms and the wind and all of that, but he controls the circumstances of our lives. You see, it's not just that Jesus knew the right place to fish, because if you think about it, okay, you're fishing with a net and a boat at the most is probably six feet wide. So how is it that you can catch fish on one side of the boat and not on the other side of the boat 
with a net. That you should be able to catch some fish if the fish are just swirling around under your boat. But Jesus doesn't just know which side of the boat to fish on. Jesus directs a massive school of fish into the net of His disciples, not just to provide for their needs, but to abundantly bless them. Jesus knew their needs, and He went above and beyond to meet those needs. As Jesus tells His disciples in Matthew chapter 6, Verses 31 through 33, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you as well. Jesus had proven this time and time again, most notably in another famous event that happened right here on these very shores that we're reading about today, where Jesus stood on these shores and he had a little boy that brought him fish and loaves and he prayed over those fish and his, those loaves and he distributed food to 5,000 people. And it wasn't just that everybody got a little, bit of, a little piece of bread, a little pinch of bread and a little pinch of fish, but everybody ate to their full and they still had 12 baskets left over. Jesus abundantly blessed the 5,000 men and others that were there. And in this same case, he doesn't just give a seven fish for seven men, but he abundantly blesses them with 153 fish so that they would know that they are dependent on him for their life and for everything. So to have fellowship with Christ is to be dependent on him. Second, to have fellowship with Christ is to dine with Him. So I love this scene that John sets up in verses 9 through 14. Upon snagging this huge catch of fish, John recognizes that the stranger on the shore is their risen master. And so he turns and he tells Peter, and Peter puts on his his outer cloak because he's in effect, actually the word there where it says strip for his work means naked. He was naked. He basically was in his boxer briefs, okay? And he, he um, jumps, he puts his cloak on because when he gets to the shore, he doesn't want to meet his, his master with his, in his underwear. So he puts his jacket on, jumps in the, in the water, swims, and uh, gets to the shore first. But John recognizes that this master, uh, this man on the shore is his risen Savior. He tells Peter, Peter jumps in and swims to the shore. And once they've made it to the shore, Jesus invites them to bring some of the fish that they've hauled in and add to the meal that he's already prepared. Now, I'm, I'm an outdoorsman who loves to camp and fish and hunt and all that kind of stuff. So the ideal of, idea of this scene with Jesus is just amazing to me. I mean, I love the idea of sitting next to a campfire with some fish that we're grilling, sitting next to my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, eating some fish and telling stories. That is just the ideal for me. I've done that before. I had the opportunity to to catch some trout in a in a creek in Colorado and and just get right next to the creek and grill it out and and eat it. That's an amazing experience if you ever have it. But to do that with Jesus, 
to have that close fellowship and to sit and to eat with him with a meal that he's already prepared for me is just an amazing thought. And there's something beautiful about the fact that Jesus didn't just provide to them with this, this miracle in which he directed the fish into their net, but notice Jesus caught his own fish, gathered bread, built a fire, and cooked for them too. Then he invites them to sit down and to dine with him. And verse 13 gives us this image that should be very familiar to us as we've studied the book of John especially. Jesus takes bread, he breaks it, and he gives it to them. In John chapter 6, Jesus took bread, he blessed it, and he broke it, and he fed 5,000 men with it. In that same chapter, he says in verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. So you see, to have fellowship with Jesus Christ is to dine with and even to dine on him. It's not enough to be dependent on Jesus for your daily bread. We should be dependent on Jesus for our daily bread. We should pray, give us this day our daily bread. But we should also be dependent on Jesus for our eternal life. You see, I know a lot of people who never darken the door of the church. They never show any outward commitment to Christ. They never talk about the Lord other than to say, well, the good Lord took care of me today. And yes, the good Lord took care of you today. But if you want to have the eternal life that only Jesus can bring, then you must have full fellowship with Him. You must feed on Him. You must be fed by His Word. You must be empowered by His Spirit. We must be encouraged by His church. Life as a disciple of Jesus Christ is not a one-time pledge that you do and then you forget about and Jesus is just this add-on that you tack on every once in a while when you need Him because you need your daily bread. Life with Jesus is a constant dwelling with Him, a constant dining with Him, a constant feeding on Him because He is your source of eternal life and He is your source of your daily bread. It is a constant feeding on Him. It is a life of commitment to the things that He has commanded and He has given for you like Sunday worship and the Word of God and a life that is constant in prayer in all circumstances. Feeding on Jesus looks like a life that is dependent on Him for everything from our daily bread, from the food that we eat, to our spiritual nourishment and life in Him. So the second thing I want you to see from this text is found in verses 15 through 19. And here we find that communion with Christ looks like forgiveness. So now there's been many a great sermon that has been preached on this repeated question that Jesus asked of Peter. And I I don't have time to to go through the different ways that Jesus asked this question and the different ways that Peter answers it. But there's a broader point that I want you to see that's happening here. Now, as with most stories in the Gospel of John, There's a whole lot more going on in this story than just a good fishing story. We have a hint of that in verse 9 
as it notes that the disciples saw a charcoal fire prepared for them as they came on shore. Now, there's a fascinating thing about this word for charcoal fire here. It's only used one other time. The only other time that this Greek word for charcoal fire is used in the New Testament is in John chapter 18, verse 18. And there we find that Peter huddled around a charcoal fire with other people during Jesus' trial. And around that charcoal fire, Peter was asked three different times if he knew the Lord. And Peter said three different times, I do not know this man. Oh, can you imagine the lump in Peter's throat as he came up out of the water, wet and cold and needing a fire, and there's a charcoal fire burning, smell of its smoke blowing into his face and hearing its crackle, and being transported by his senses back to the worst moment of his life. Oh, the guilt and shame that he must have experienced, that must have welled up in his heart. I wonder if he could barely stomach the meal. Maybe he just pecked at his fish and his bread while his brothers in in Christ scarfed it down. I wonder if he waited on Jesus to finally stand up and condemn him and to say, I know what you did, Peter, around a charcoal fire like this. I know who you really are. Get away from me, you false disciple. You don't deserve to be here. You don't deserve to eat my fish and take my bread. But instead, Jesus looks at him and asks, Do you love me? Three different times. He asked him the same question. And three different times, Peter emphatically answers, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And every time, Jesus doesn't answer, Well, you sorry, Joker. If you love me, why did you deny me? No, every time, he simply says, Feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. Feed my sheep. This whole exercise was a catharsis for Peter. The charcoal fire and the three questions point right back to Peter's denial. Giving Peter the opportunity to repent and the opportunity to reconcile with his Lord. In that reconciliation, Jesus gives him a new charge. Just as Jesus fed him, And just as he needs to feed on Jesus to have his eternal life, so now Peter is to feed others. Do you see the beauty in this forgiveness, brothers and sisters? Your past does not disqualify you as a disciple of Christ. I want you to hear that again. Your past does not disqualify you As a disciple of Christ, your guilt and your shame over where you've been and even who you might be right now cannot disqualify you from ministry and life in Jesus Christ. Because of your life in Jesus Christ, you have forgiveness in him. 
As 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, he has an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Jesus is before the very throne of God, night and day, advocating for those who are His, advocating for His disciples. Because He is our very present, our ever-present advocate, we have forgiveness in Him. So we don't live in shame and regret. We live to love and to serve others because we have communion with Christ through our dependence and our forgiveness in Him. So, we are called, as Jesus ends this, this uh, section with His conversation with Peter, notice in verse 19, He says at the very end of that verse, after telling Him that He loves Him and to feed His sheep, and after telling Him even the way that He will die, He says, follow Me. We are called to follow Christ because we have communion with Him. We have fellowship with Him, which means that we are dependent on Him for our daily bread. We're dependent on Him for our eternal life. And we have forgiveness in Him, which means that we are now empowered by that forgiveness to go out and to feed others, to serve others because we have been forgiven, because we have fellowship with Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the ministry of Your Word. Lord, we thank You for the, the fact that we have communion with You through Jesus Christ. Lord, may that change the way that we live, that we won't live in shame and regret, but that we will live ready to serve because we have been served by Christ. Father, bless us now as we respond to You in faith. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.